Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. Hello, darlings. Uh, welcome to Undersampled Radio. <laughs> it's episode 74. Of course, I meant dearies. Um, in case you're confused, this is Undersampled Radio. And it is episode 74. And today we have with us Eric Larsen, who is uh, in Norway. He's CEO of Earth Analytics. We'll be chatting to him. We'll wave at you for now, Eric. Please feel free to chip in or uh, interrupt um, if, if you want to. Graham, yes. What's going on, man? You're in some kind of cool-looking TARDIS-like space Oof. cupboard. I am. I'm in my uh, command center here at Expiro in Austin. Very nice. I'm coming. I'm. I'm soliciting uh, better names than command center, but so far, all that's happened is someone put a command center label on the door with the label maker okay. and a slidable vacant or open. Um, little thing like you'd see on an airplane bathroom okay <laughs> which is about as so, nice as this <laughs> so we're inviting punny combinations of undersampled radio command center uh yeah. cupboard that's it <laughs> Matt, do you know what i mean by cupboard is a cupboard a thing i i guess i mean yes. closet do i or pantry maybe pantry mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. This is the smallest room in Expero, probably. You have a lot of stuff on your news list. So I'm going to. Yeah, why don't we do yours first? <laughs> yeah, let's do mine first. Okay, I only have two bullet points. Bullet point number one is I've been working with front end stuff recently, which is pretty what? Which is pretty cool. Um, I'm not a, your typical front end person, uh, but I've been having fun. There's a library called deeplearn.js, which is also the URL, if you want to check it out online, um, to do browser-based uh, machine learning. And no, the answer is no, I don't want to train my deep learning models in the browser. But I do want to do inference passes in the browser. Um, right. So we're building a little demo. I'm building a little demo to actually Steve. I think Eric knows Steve Purvis. So the two of us are building a thing to uh, recommend credit cards to bank users. Yeah. Um, Steve. Yeah. He's, uh, I mean, he's an expert. Obviously, he knows front end, back end, middle end, upside down end, whatever. He knows everything. Um, but I'm just beginning my front end explorations. And this is a cool place to start. So, bullet number two. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. This is kind of cool. This is, I was just working on this five minutes before the show, so I thought I'd mention it. This seems like uh, a, a random string of words pulled from the dictionary. Do you want to read it? Do you want to read it and guess what it means? Okay. okay. Formulating alternative optimization strategies, parens, autograd, for fulfillment chains. Okay. Right. So fulfillment chain, that sounds a bit like another way of saying supply chain. Okay. You got it. Sort of upstream yep. supply chain. Uh, alternative optimization strategies. Uh, yeah, cool. So optimization of the supply chain. 
but with yes. alternative strategies which Use are being it. formulated by you. By, by, <laughs> you forgot the one word, though, autograde. With autograde. You'd say autograde, would you? Auto, yeah, because it stands for gradients, automatic gradients. OK, I would say grad, though. Wouldn't you say shorten gradient to grad? No, I, would I mean, I hear what you're saying. I, it's like the lib-lib thing, I guess. Do you say relu or relu? Uh, I don't know, relu. I, I wouldn't say relu. I'd say relu. OK, well, there you go. There's your answer. <laughs> anyway. Um, what are you about to? Using automatic gradients is a thing related to our conversation from last episode with Ethan Rosenthal doing recommender systems with automatic gradient calculations. And I'm applying a similar related uh, idea to opti traditional optimization workflows. Um, and they just happen, in this case, to be working with supply chains. So those are my bullet points. What's up with you? Nicely. Well, um, uh, I guess time depth conversion is one of those things that I feel like will never die, no matter how often I think about it or write code for it. Or uh, it seems like there's always some different or new angle. And when I try implementing it in the way that I've done things before, it breaks everything. Um, it's one of those things where I'm starting to get renewed appreciation for, uh, well, the only depth conversion tool I've ever had much uh, familiarity with is Landmark's Depth Team Express from way back in the day. I doubt it even exists anymore. Um, awesome tool. You know, you could give it basically velocities in any kind of format. So this is for doing conversion between sort of seismic time and well depth, let's say, uh, in the subsurface. Because um, obviously those domains need reconciling if we're going to make any kind of useful predictions about things in either domain. And um, yeah, it's just a really sticky problem because uh, we get velocities in all sorts of different formats and they need to be calibrated in various ways and uh, they have different datums potentially. And you may want to um, convert things which are from outside of the range for which you have velocity. So you're doing extrapolation and everything's sampled at different rates and maybe sampled irregularly and maybe defined with a combination of functions and data. So basically it's like, all the nightmare subsurface stuff wrapped into one problem. Awesome. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, we so uh, I guess what spurred that spurred me into that was partly some teaching stuff that we're doing. I was trying to make a nice demo, and I also got an email from someone who I like and respect very much, Chris Liner, about the time depth conversion stuff in Bruges, which turns out to be. I don't know, broken or insufficient in one or more ways. Um, so anyway, I've got back into that, and now I've got a headache, more or less permanently. Um, <laughs> so in Michigan next week, we're teaching. I'm teaching on my own. Uh, and then in Houston, um, I'm going to be downtown for a week, right before Easter. Um, so if there's any software undergrounders out there, undergroids, uh, Evan and Diego and I will all be around. So let's. I know. Cool. I'll drive over and come see you. Perfect storm. Oh, that'd be awesome. Um, oh, and uh, okay. So uh, we're doing a hackathon on data visualization of um, subsurface data, hopefully, even some VR 
AR stuff. I've probably mentioned it before. This is the one in Copenhagen in June. Um, I've got a, a tricider.com survey out there where you can see the proposed projects for that hackathon and contribute other ideas if you wish and or vote on the ideas or comment on the ideas that are already there. So there's a link in the show notes. Uh, there's also my Twitter feed recently. You can go check out those ideas. There's something like 20 there now. And some of them are pretty cool. There's one thing in particular that I urge you to Google right now um, called cinematic rendering, uh, which I believe is an invention of Siemens for their um, uh, CAT scan data sort of thing. And uh, it's totally remarkable. Like, it looks awesome. Basically, these these images... You, you ever seen that? I can't remember the name of that German artist that does the sort of plasticized bodies um, as, as an art form. You can go and visit his exhibition. Uh, it's called Body Worlds, I think. It makes... Data look like these body worlds stuff. So realistic coloring, shading, textures. How does it colorize the images? It must be some kind of model. I don't know that's been trained on anatomical oh, images of some kind. It's totally amazing. It's, amazing. it's beautiful stuff. Um, and grotesque. And, and sort of grotesque. Uh, kind of amazing. And... Yeah, I would just love to see seismic data with that treatment. <laughs> so that's my favorite visualization project right now. That is pretty amazing. It's probably like patented by Siemens, so maybe we'll all end up getting sued, but... I'm putting a link in the show notes. <clears throat> Write the lawsuit. Okay, thank you. All so right. that's, that's all from me, man. Have you got anything else? Cool. I, I'm nope. That's it. I'm fresh out of news. In that case, you know what time it is. <laughs> let's meet Eric. It's Eric time. Hi, Eric. Hi, Matt. Hi, Graham. Hello. Eric. This is Eric Larson. Uh, do you call yourself CEO, co-founder, president, kingpin? All yes. of those things. All of those things. And uh, accountant, uh, lawyer, accountant. <laughs> yeah, mailman. <Yeah>. <laughs> Prince of um, Earth Analytics, uh, a data science, well, geoscience slash subsurface data science company in Norway. I'd say you're based in Stavanger, is that right? Yes, um, uh, we're based in Stavanger, so that's where the mail comes. Uh, right now I'm in, in Bergen, so it's a okay. four-hour drive north of Stavanger, where we also have an office. Nice. And, uh, is one of your colleagues uh, based in Bergen? Yeah, so I have actually four colleagues here. Okay, nice. In, in Bergen, in the center of town. And so Bergen is the town where, where I grew up. So it's nice to come here. Perfect. Once in a while. And oh, how, um, how is the winter weather in Bergen today? So I've, I've only seen it in beautiful sunshine. Everyone always jokes about the rain, but I'm like, I, I, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, it only sun, sun shines there. Yes, today it does. <laughs> and we have a bit of snow. Uh, blue skies. So um, we've had a beautiful winter with lots of snow and really cold winter. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. In the, hill, in the hills, uh, like forty-five minutes drive from uh, the office, we have three meters of snow. 
Oh, awesome. Are you uh, a skier, cross-country skier, telemark nut? What's your yeah. bag? Yes, I have been skiing a lot. Unfortunately, this winter has a lot of work to do, so missing out a bit, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, I've been into yeah, cross-country telemark, uh, and these days, when I get the chance, I do this, what we call the randonnée. Okay. Alpine skis with some very lightweight binding, bindings with fixed heel. Mm -hmm. So it's a tradition from the Alps that we yeah. kind of adopted here like 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, before that, everyone was doing telemark. Sure. Cool. Very cool. So, so uh, how so many people? Do you get seven? Sorry, go ahead, Matt. <laughs> Sorry, it's just, there's a little bit of uh, of lag in the line today. I'm not sure where it is, but um, go ahead, Graham. You were going to ask something more relevant than me. <laughs> I was just going to say, so there's four people in the office where you are. How many people are in Savanger? Uh, in, in Stavanger, it's uh, just me. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have uh, four people in Athens, Greece. Hmm. That's cool. How did that come about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the whole earth science analytics story, that's it's interesting, but um, basically started, I started on my own. Uh, I'm a sedimentologist, very much a geologist um, by background, and was working in exploration in oil companies. Basically, had this feeling uh, that uh, we're not doing uh, as well as we should be doing when it comes to predictive geoscience. And so I started looking into the ways of, of dealing with that kind of problem. And I realized that these prediction tasks that we, uh, we need to do in, in exploration and, and other aspects of petroleum geoscience. They are very often kind of multi-dimensional regression and classification problems. Yep. And which I'm not able to do in my head very well. Um, <laughs> we drilled some, some dry wells and some non-commercial discoveries, and some successes. So there's a lot of ups and downs. So that brought me into exploring uh, uh, statistics in the beginning figured someone had to have solved uh, these kind of problems before so and i think it was 2015 and that kind of led me into learning about uh, machine learning um, and ai so just totally randomly i basically went skiing with my friend uh, besad was one of the other mm -hmm. co-founders and uh, we were talking about what we were doing and so on and and he was working on uh, machine learning with some uh, seismic and electromagnetic uh, problem uh, together with dimitri who is the third co-founder mm -hmm. so we just decided to to team up uh, and combine what i was doing with the, the wells and what they were doing with seismic and EM. Um, and then we also invited a, a fourth co-founder, which you, who you know very well, uh, Chris Jackson. Right. Mm -hmm. um, 
and founded uh, this as a company to do it as a, a company uh, and do something more out of it than a, a hobby. Yeah, cool. So, so what are you doing? <laughs> what are we doing? So I saw you put a, a, a link to my GitHub account, which is not very mm. informative. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of the things I'm not doing, putting things there. But uh, we did share something in this uh, machine learning contest. Right. Uh, so I guess you can navigate to that repo. And yep. That's more than a year ago, isn't it? Um, yep. you know, right. it, it was about uh, facies classification from, from well logs. So that's a useful use case. So as a sedimentologist, I've kind of hand-labeled wells before with <laughs> facies. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, obviously, that's prone to making mistakes in addition to being terribly boring. So it's an obvious one to solve. Um, and you can do it complicated with uh, uh, large uh, uh, facious classification schemes with many classes for academic problems. Uh, but for applied petroleum geoscience, uh, maybe you can break it down to fewer classes or even just do lithology. Mm. So that's. Uh, one of the things we have been doing. And so it's a classification problem. Uh, I think we've been exploring the space pretty well with all sorts of uh, machine learning tricks. Uh, it was a really good effort by, uh, by you, Matt, uh, launching that contest. So they exposed many uh, kind of approaches to the problem. Yeah, really. Yeah. We'd, we're, we're hoping to do another one uh, really soon. It's just taking a lot of time to uh, sort the data out, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. But um, yeah, I, I, it, it was a fun way to bring a lot of, um, just find a lot of people as well, right? Find this sort of community yes. of people who are interested in this stuff. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it was, it was neat to see all the different approaches to solving the same problem. Um, it's a, a goal of mine pretty soon here within the next month or maybe two months to put together a comparison of uh, libraries so rather than doing different methodologies do different methodology do different toolkits on the same problem and see what the performance differences are and the sort of effort required is between libraries kind of academic but just for my own edification and um, maybe write a blog post out of it so that would be cool um, yeah so nice. other than Lithologic uh, classifications. It sounds like um, ESA's got a bunch of um, knowledge base and personnel power and experience in EM. Um, are you guys doing anything in that space? Anything in the seismic space? Uh, yeah, in seismic, not so much on uh, EM. Uh, mm -hmm. But, but Bessard and uh, Dimitri published a, the pap a paper on that work that they did uh, combined EM and uh, and, and seismic in geophysics uh, yeah. 2016. Yeah, cool. But, uh, so, but uh, we are working on on seismic definitely. Uh, but there's one other well-based uh, approach that we're doing to, which is a regression problem to quantify properties such as porosity, permeability, source rock oh, cool. properties, and so on. Um, 
when we have that in place, including those lithology and phages classes in the wells, we basically have lots of information in the wells. Yeah. And in exploration, when you need to predict something, typically it's not in the wells, but in between the wells. Right. <laughs> so it, obviously the seismic comes in handy. So we've done uh, this kind of rock and fluid property prediction uh, mm. from seismic uh, initially uh, using uh, inverted seismic as the uh, the feature set. Mm. Which I is, see. And so you it, tie the you tie the wells to the inversions at certain points and use those as your labels. Uh, use the inversions as the features. And the labels you can get from uh, from the wells, yeah, uh, which is handy because you can train the models on on the elastic properties in the in the wells and do the inference mm -hmm. uh, with the cubes. But uh, very it has has definitely some limitations uh, since we are not the owner of lots of inverted seismic. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Uh, but in Norway, we have this uh, national data repository, which is yeah. really useful. Uh, so it's not total open data. You have to be a, a member, but it's a, uh, yeah, you can manage, or, uh, any company can manage to pay for that membership. But it's not, mm -hmm. it's a bit stiff for individuals. To, yeah, yeah. But that gives us access to more than 6,000 6, uh, 3D cubes. And wow. Those full stacks, <laughs> partial stacks, uh, all the wells that are more than two years old. So we do have lots of, uh, of data to play with. Uh, but uh, inverted seismic is not abundant in that database. Yeah. So the next step was obvious to to try and see if we could uh, go to the to the source of the inverted seismic to go to the partial stacks. Mm -hmm. So we tried that out and uh, presented some results uh, uh, last week. And uh, basically, it was yesterday in Oslo <laughs> and two weeks nice. ago in, in, in London in the Janet Watson conference on, on that okay. work. How, how uh, did the results look? Did it come out OK? Uh, yeah, uh, it comes out OK. It's, uh, it's useful. Uh, and so uh, we'll keep on working on uh, on uh, optimizing it. Mm -hmm. Are you doing um, sort of like a 1D pass or something? Like you, you extract individual traces from the inversion and then you and then you predict across many traces? The, with, when we start with the, the partial stacks, uh, we use simply they them as the feature, feature mm -hmm. set. And uh, we train on some form of uh, ground truth for the rock property that we're interested in. Right. Uh, and uh, as I guess you have experienced, uh, that's a major part of the challenge to obtain uh, large and uh, high quality label sets. Yeah. To train on. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I ask because I'm wondering if the um, the output, if the if the predicted um, Volume or, or or piece of a volume is is continuous, or if it's kind of choppy. In the in the predictions that I've done on volumetric data like that, we tend to get like jittery characteristics in the output because you're moving across data that is presumably to the algorithm non-continuous. Yeah, because you're doing it 
do it on single traces. Yeah, uh, I don't know the details about that. Uh, I should have introduced myself better. I'm a I'm the geologist, um, and <laughs> I did uh, make a big effort to to try and get up to speed with the the coding, uh, which I'm still working on. But I'm not a kind of coding superhero yet. So started with Octave, then then uh, MATLAB, and now. Python, Good. But, but I'm just, uh, I can fiddle around with the scikit-learn, uh, play with that, and the pandas. Yes. But the key to making useful things uh, for geoscience for me was to team up with people who actually know more about how to do this efficiently, like, <laughs> yeah, like uh, Dimitri and uh, Socrates and Vagelis uh, in, in Athens. Of course, cool. Are you um, so? What's the um, what's the target? Uh, are you exploring? Are, are you selling upstream exploration services? Yeah, so we've been uh, selling services for uh, for a year now, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, one of the clients uh, allowed us to make the results public. So that's mm -hmm. the one that we're presenting around various conferences, right? And we'll write it up sometime before the summer. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can see uh, it, it, there is a, uh, you can find it online, the, the slides. So it's a kind of paints a picture of what we're doing and cool. uh, in terms of services. And we're trying to make it more interesting than simply selling an A to B mapping problem mm -hmm. solving. So but if you can stack up multiple uh, A to B mapping uh, solutions, like uh, wireline log to phases, wireline logs to rock properties and to fluid properties, and all this, you obtain all this uh, information about the properties that we actually care about, uh, and not those proxies that are what is actually measured in the subsurface. Then we can start stacking this up into composite solutions uh, mm -hmm. and do things like uh, prospect evaluation and play screening, uh, things like this, and, and exploration. And we have, some of us have uh, worked a lot in exploration, so we, we did uh, projects for exploration companies in the start, but the data is the same whether you're in field development or production. So yep. if we can move on to uh, including dynamic data from uh, production histories and so on, that that's an interesting uh, way forward. Very cool. It sounds like uh, you're doing some fascinating work. Um, what's the what's the next step, do you think? Yeah, <laughs> so many next steps. Uh, <laughs> One thing is that we, we got this research grant from the Norwegian Research Council uh, just before Christmas, a very nice Christmas gift. Yes. And, and that is uh, specific to the seismic-related uh, applications. So yeah. it's got two parts, two main parts, uh, 
and where one is related to the the interpretation of the seismic you know, the horizons oh, cool. fault, faults and geobodies and the other part is related to this rock and fluid property prediction so it's more in line with what what is done in inversion and uh, rock physics uh, today so that will be a major effort and uh, um, working with uh, getting uh, industry sponsors to fund the remainder of the, the budget for that project. So we'll go over three years. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have this well-related uh, stuff going on, uh, advancing that further uh, on the side, uh, on our own uh, money. Mm -hmm. And I think cool. we, uh, we have uh, like five, five oil companies uh, that we're doing services for right now. Awesome. Uh, That's excellent. Uh, is it enough? How much are you? Um, how much is research and how much is work? I mean, are you trying to build a lot of scientific papers? Are you trying to bootstrap the thing through operational revenue? Do you, or do you even have a sense of, of that yet? Uh, we're, we're not spending a lot of time writing papers. We'll try and publish this one study. Uh, uh, that we did for a Japanese oil company called Moeko mm -hmm. so that I'm committed to do, but uh, it takes time to do, write these things. So, of course, yeah. Uh, and so far, we are just funded by the revenue uh, that we get from these projects, uh, and we're doing R and D and and kind of paid problem solving in parallel. Right. And I guess we have to. Uh, this space is nowhere near fully explored. So, of course, yeah. if you stop developing, then you're quickly left behind. Cool. Yeah. I uh, playing the old uh, build a project. Sorry, build a product through consulting services game. That's uh, that's yeah, excellent it, if you can do it, it that way, right? Yeah, and hard work. <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> course. So uh, we are also. Uh, working on uh, getting some uh, some uh, VC VCs on board, venture capital. Oh, nice. So we are working on a fundraising. Uh, hopefully, close it before the summer. I assume that those VCs and people related to them are interested in funding product-based businesses. Are you um, able to say publicly yet uh, what the product is going to look like, or do you know? Yes, I, I'm able to say that we are uh, going to launch a, a product uh, to that uh, will will uh, do uh, geoscience problems, uh, where machine learning is a central component, but only one of a large number of components. Um, we are working towards launching this uh, the summer, coming summer. Cool. That's coming up fast, huh? Yeah. So we have had uh, a product um, uh, in-house uh, for a year, or oh, slightly mm -hmm. more. At the end of 2016, it was up and running. So we're continuously improving that and using it ourselves for these consultancy projects, uh -huh. um, which is uh, a useful way of doing it, I think, because 
when you use your own product, you get to see experience the bugs and the <laughs> kind of non-optimal solutions. Uh, and when, since, since we have the development guys in-house, uh, it's it's quick to to uh, to get things fixed. Excellent. That sounds great. Um, I'm, I'm sure that you probably already know about this, but I, I don't know if you've you've talked to Lucas Mosser. He's doing a, some machine learning stuff in the upstream space, so, and they have some really neat ideas about um, performing inversion and through domain transfer and things like that. Yes. So if you haven't talked to him yet. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I did. Okay. I, I met him at the Janet Watson conference in uh, cool. Burlington House the week before last. So uh, I, I know the I haven't, uh, they didn't publish any code for this domain transfer, but I've seen their presentations, uh, and that Good. that looks like a, an enormously interesting uh, thing to to get into. Yeah, uh, indeed, it is. It's um, a whole new way of approaching the types of problems that geoscientists have, and and all remote sensing experts have been working on for many many years. How you know maybe hundreds hundred of years um, so it's fascinating stuff and I am excited to see the product when it comes out yeah I'm happy to come and, and talk talk about it uh, in the summer awesome I'll try not to be too specific about the date <laughs> online <laughs> okay cool um, well, we'll keep our ears out for that, and we will uh, make an announcement when it happens. Because uh, I know that Matt and Gang are likewise interested to see everything developing in this space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you guys working on uh, some products as well? Matt, oh, yes, Matt. Be... <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, most of uh, most of the tool set that we use for the sort of day-to-day -day we try and put into our open source tools, um, you know, for, for sort of data munging and that kind of thing. Um, uh, we have a, well, we're getting a little bit of traction for a proposal for a, a product that we'd like to build, or at least I'd like it to exist. <laughs> I guess I'm not totally convinced that I want to be the person to build it yet, but, um, uh, and then, I'm actually I, the thing I keep peddling at people is the thing that we already built but had to mothball. Uh, pick this, which I just really I just really wanted to come back. I just <laughs> it didn't it didn't have a business model, which doesn't help. Um, but uh, it, I had to take it offline because it was costing me a fortune to run it. Unfortunately, but just because of really? a bug that yeah it, we we screwed up something to do with the caching. And uh -huh. we were just getting nailed, hammered by um, database calls. Wow. And, and I turned it off kind of in a panic. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I just can't face going back into the code base now because it's been over a year. And you know what it's like. Two weeks of flailing just to make one change. So um, for, na and for now, we're completely swamped with uh, with uh, training, which is, I think I've talked about before on the show, but has been a bit of a bit weird because we weren't really pushing that that business. But um, it's also really fun uh, because you get to meet a lot of people and and help a lot of people. So we're kind of neck deep in that at the moment. Um, and so we're, any engineering we're doing is sort of 
just towards that. So it's sort of low level simplification of things rather than building tools. Um, but I did. I wanted to ask you more about the uh, this Janet Watson conference because I, I, well, I think a lot of people, like, well, obviously we went there. I'd have loved to have been there, but we couldn't quite justify it. Um, I suspect a lot of other people around the world uh, would have liked to have been there, but missed it. Um, it was a couple of days, was it? I saw that the YouTube, uh, uh, like a playlist just went up with all of, the, or many of the talks, something like 20 talks on it. I'll, I'll uh -huh. dig the link out and put it in Great. the uh, show notes. But yeah. uh, what was it like? Um, it sounds like it was pretty good. Yeah, it, it was really great. Uh, I love those kind of uh, single topic uh, uh, meetups. Uh, where everyone comes for the same reason and, and you know, good good discussions and in, in the breaks and in the bar in the evening, not to speak of that. Uh, but uh, we had, it was actually two topics because one was uh, the virtual outcrops and the other one, uh, what they call broadly digital transformation, which includes Many things, but there were, was lot, lots of things going on in uh, machine learning. We had a few of those uh, uh, talks on uh, lithology facies from uh, Wallog classification. Uh, I think three, three of those. Uh, yeah, mine was in this case study play evaluation and prospect evaluation in the balance C, uh, which is a multi component. A composite study and Statoil, uh, John Thurman from Statoil had a very interesting talk uh, on, uh, we, we knew they were working on something, uh, but they were very silent for the last two years, I think. And at uh, the Janet Watson conference, they presented uh, their uh, progress on uh, seismic interpretation with uh, deep neural nets. Cool. So, so I hope that one was recorded. I'm sure many would like to see that. Yeah, uh, definitely. yeah, right. I didn't look down the list yet, but I, I keep hearing people mention that talk, and someone would like to read a slide from it, and yeah. um, so on. I think he did approve a publication of the the talk. I certainly did for mine. So, anyone who can find the stamina can uh, watch it on YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's quite, quite a few, that's for sure. In a Norwegian um, English accents. Cool. I, I, we should post the uh, link on, on this show notes. Uh, yeah, I just put it in. Oh, good. But I don't see John Thurman's in there. Um, so it's hard to get approval from uh, oil companies. So. Yeah, of course. Of course. Cool. Um, so there's a question in here uh, from Matt that is. Particularly, we ask this of, of, of a lot of our guests, but this one is particularly interesting considering your insight um, and now experience with actual paying customers in this space. Um, and the question is, um, what are the, so the way that Matt posed the question is, what really hard problems are you looking forward to solving in the next decade? And I will add the additional, what, which of those problems do you think are actually tractable? Yeah, <laughs> for the next <laughs> next decade. That's a long time. Uh, X years. You pick X. <laughs> yes. You pick, yeah. So, I think we've seen a lot of progress on 
on these uh, basic tasks where you identify a feature set and a label set and you find some uh, function that maps between the two and then you do your inference. So that basically works to as alternatives to many things that we do in petrophysics, uh, rock physics, and uh, inversion that we discussed with also the approach by Lucas Musser and the GAN stars. So I think we will uh, see very quickly that those kind of problems find solutions that will be implemented uh, in in the daily business of uh, yeah, the early adopters uh, <laughs> of the old companies. Uh, so we have uh, our uh, solutions to those problems kind of in place and working on optimizing them. Uh, but uh, we don't have to wait until they are fully optimized. We can already start to, to stack these things on top of each other to solve these composite problems that I mentioned. Uh, like exploring entire place and prospects and uh, identifying all the properties you need to, to know something about, like the, the Rasvar properties, the sourcebook properties. And I think we want to do more progress on uh, uh, doing this rock and fluid property prediction in uh, not in a deterministic way but in a probabilistic way so so that we quantify the uncertainty that will always be there uh, and the risk of that there is no reservoir at all and things like this right so, so I think I think it will move uh, uh, very fast, uh, and that we will see uh, solutions for these composite problems. And those things that we see that many many people have uh, got solutions to right now are kind of the low hanging fruit are those tasks that that are basically solved well with with maths already. Like petrophysics, you have equations that that help you today. Uh, uh, and, but when you get into those problems that uh, geologists have been dealing with, because we don't have f physics uh, solutions to those problems, and uh, it's not to say that geology is uh, harder than than physics, but the problems are basically so hard. And, and that's part of the reason why we don't have any uh, kind of equations or very quantifiable ways to solve them. So, and, but these things need to be solved in petroleum exploration and development production. So I think we will see that we will start to attack those two. Uh, and, and that's where I think it will get really, really hard to do right. ge geology uh in a machine learning assisted way interesting yeah i'm excited to see what's going to happen in salt lake we have this hackathon coming up in a couple months and i, I this is I, I don't know what the attendance is like um though i should probably go over that with matt but i'm excited to see sort of the um more mature evolution of ideas in the space, right? So people have been kind of thinking about this now. So like you said, Eric, since about 2015, 
And I think that this in this May, we're going to see some really fascinating projects coming up, solving very hard problems using um, probabilistic modeling and stochastic methodologies to um, to work on geology problems. I don't know, Matt, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens in May too. I hope we get I hope we get some stuff around um, uh, stratigraphy in particular. Um, right. You know, what I guess <laughs> one of the tricky things that we struggle a bit with in geology is that we're it's not necessarily clear when you've got the right answer, and um, even what the answer should look like. So uh, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see how people define problems and models when perhaps the cost function is difficult to actually write down. Um, I'm really interested in some things like, uh, I guess, the sort of stuff that we do, like a lot, a lot of what we do is really just part of a kind of workflow. It's part of a chain. Like you look at something like right. horizon interpretation and we're not necessarily interpreting horizons because we care about the shapes of the horizons. It's just that they help us figure out the next thing, right? They help us figure out uh, the shapes of traps or the um, the lithology of something. And mm -hmm. so get to the bit where we actually do prospect identification or risking or what have you. And so I'm really interested in like when you take something like, um, you know, inversion on a 3D volume, I mean, really, in in principle, the result of an inversion of a 3D seismic inversion should be more useful than a bunch of horizons that you've interpreted. The horizons is really just a hang up that we have because we like making maps. And so we have this kind of analog based workflow based on maps that we're sort of implementing right now digitally by picking lots of 2D sections and then putting the pieces together into a to make a map but we don't like I say we don't really need the map and if we've got an inversion that should be right. the answer especially if the inversion is actually been transformed into like Eric said some specific rock property that we really care about like saturation or porosity or whatever I mean maybe yeah, there's a workflow where you don't even bother with horizons as you just pick prospects out of 3d space and do the geobody thing that we've been failing to do essentially for the last 20 years yeah that's a very interesting uh, comment uh, if, if you watched a video of my talk last week um third last slide there's a, a picture of um, a porosity cube that was uh, the output of uh, yeah i guess two stacked machine learning models um so we, we get, get that porosity cube, but we get many other cubes related to rock and fluid properties. And they are basically the, the content of our uh, geomodels, that right. standard geomodels that one makes in Petrel or RMS or whatever. Um, we did a study in, in the Barents uh, Seas, uh, no, north of Norway, uh, where you have the Triassic uh, just below the seabed. It's, and there is large, uh, impedance contrast between the, the reservoirs and the surrounding mudstones. So that output uh, was super crisp, 
uh, you see the the, the architecture of the fluvial system and how the porosity is di distributed around those uh, channels and point bars and so on. So we asked ourselves, do we really need the interpretation in order to make the geo-grid? You, you can just uh, grid it up for the purpose of uh, producing the runtime on your simulation or whatever, uh, but you can grid it any way you want. Uh, but obviously, in other parts of the world, the data quality is not that good. So maybe you want that interpretation part done anyway to uh, then address things in a more probabilistic way. But, but uh, I think there are places around the world where you basically can bypass the whole uh, interpretation step. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I think it is even uh, a sort of the the, the corollary if you like in the seismic imaging world i would say would be i think we have talked about this before on on undersampled radio but you know do we really need seismic images right i mean um we've got so we've got all the date with the datas in the shot records um maybe uh, an ai can get what we need directly out of the field data we only process seismic really so that a geologist can look at it and go oh yeah there's a fault and this looks geological and now i know where i am in the stratigraphy we don't actually need the image maybe for uh, the sort of subsurface prediction we want to do that gets back to eric's idea about stacked solutions right so the ultimate right. um digital transformation if you want to call it that is you start you, you just shoot shot records you just set off these air guns or whatever and nobody ever looks at the data they just input it to a black box and the output is drill it location xyz and you're done right but there are many steps in between and the idea is can if, if you take each one of those steps as a singular layer in a stack can you hierarchically build up a system which removes layers from that stack for instance if you remove if you build a system which um, interprets horizons, enabled, which enables uh, right. velocity volume um, conversion, then you build a system next week or whatever that uh, takes out the necessary step of building the horizons. And then you can just swap these modules in and out as you move along. Yeah, well, they're, they're basically all hidden layers, aren't they? right now yep. they're all yeah, each yeah. one of those products is like a hidden oh, yeah. layer in some gross neural network humans um, humans are the are the hidden layers the interpreters yeah. you know the the specialists are the are the uh hidden i mean layers. maybe that that would be the best outcome is you know those those products are still generated or something like something interpretable it's a bit it's like what we were talking about with ethan right whether these latent spaces are interpretable or not i mean it would be a cool outcome scientifically if those uh um you know the units inside those layers were produced interpretable byproducts if we wanted to interrogate them um but yeah it and if they if they don't like I'm quite interested in the idea that you know if the latent space is not interpretable then what is it about the way that we interpret things which is it's not wrong. efficient yes yeah good right. idea yeah I mean I think it's all sorts of fascinating um so I hope we get to some of those questions I, I feel like those are quite mature questions and maybe we've got a lot of other really gross things to sort out first like you know 
what how what does a well log actually measure and what's the you know <laughs> yeah. like there's so many questions around the measurement of subsurface data like yes. i heard a really i can't remember where this was but somebody said you know at, like we think of well logs as like the direct measurement on the rock and seismic as being some kind of remote sensed thing but really in some ways it's the other way around because seismic sees the undisturbed in situ physics whereas the well log sees this kind of molested version of the earth where we've drilled into it pumped fluid around it and there's a massive tool sitting right against the rock do you know what i mean like it's not in situ at all so um, oh, yeah. um the mud invasion the cavings washouts yeah the hole conditions and all yeah exactly i mean even core i remember as a sedimentologist you know i came into sort of looking at core thinking well finally we get to see the actual rock and actually you get this stuff which is all kind of broken or you know it's been flushed with mud and it's the fluid's gone and it's yeah. it's a it's a and you don't quite know what depth it came from and which bit of the log it actually yeah. corresponds to. I mean, there's so many problems with all of our data that I'm just like, how do we correlate any of this? Yes. So uh, I think I said machine learning is kind of the core of the, the product that we're launching, but you need to address all these problems too. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it just runs wild and you can't trust it. So you need to build in... Uh, uh, solutions for shifting the core. Core is on realer step. The logs are on logger step, and it's not the same. And take care of the hole conditions. So it's an enormous amount of kind of uh, convenience <laughs> software that you need. Yeah. Time depth conversion to yeah. bring it back <laughs> to solve that problem. Yes, because you want to make the inference and, and the, the size make the used to be timed. So. A lot of things to, to solve. And uh, also, as I said, maybe we can bypass the interpretation step, but that's in these few fantastic examples. You, you may be able to do that. So we did actually decide to do the interpretation bit as well. And we will be presenting it in Salt Lake uh, cool. to, together with uh, your colleague, uh, Steve Purvis. So, oh. That's right. I forgot about that um, at APG. We have, have a talk on uh, on fault interpretation. Cool. Right. That's going to be a good one. To hear it. Yeah. And and we'll join the hackathon. Looking forward to that. Of course. Do you have it? Oh, do you have a project in mind? Uh, we were discussing it earlier, so we'll keep on discussing it. But um... all right. Let me let me implant an idea. <laughs> so this is a project that I've been uh, that's been on my back burner for two months now, uh, and I may use as my hackathon project, which is, can we predict the evolution of a meandering channel using a recurrent convolutional neural network? So I'm going to try to gather some data for this before the hackathon. If I can do that, it might be my hackathon project. That's a point. Actually, has Zoltan signed up? I should check. I do not think he has. Matt, it's that time of the show where we have to do that thing about reading. So what, the thing I've been dying to ask you all this time is, uh, what are you reading at the moment? Yes, that was the question <laughs> that uh, I didn't have a good answer to. I've read two textbooks, the last things I did. You didn't, <laughs> you didn't take well, the opportunity to read something just now? And not, no. 
I have my notebook here. So put the notebook on the list. And I was going to read uh, Homo Deus, but uh, I think, I don't know, when I bought it last summer. So that's the, um, it, it was in my bag for my travels to, to Oslo this week. And I had so much fun in the bar at the Norwegian Petroleum Society. So it's like reading time. I hear it's very good. It is a fascinating book. <laughs> I loved it. How do you guys get time to read something between every episode when you work so hard on all sorts of projects? Reading is part of working, man. Got to keep evolving the your own human condition. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't have kids, so that's my that's my answer. Yeah. Matt, Matt's got kids and businesses, and I don't know how he does it. Books, radio shows. <laughs> yeah, well, it takes me a while to read read a book. Let's face it, and I have been. Uh, I, it's very rare for me to to ditch something halfway through. Like I, I pretty much never stop watching a movie or, um, or even a TV show or a book or anything like that. So, but I have started doing that a bit recently with books. I'm, I'm sorry to say, um, I'm currently reading this. Well, I'm I'm one chapter in. It's a book called Heart by Johannes von Borstel, who's a German, I gather, a doctor, I think. Um, and it's about the human heart. It sort of goes with, I think it's in the same series as a book called Gut, which I think did very well for the same publisher. So I guess it's uh, another one of those. I didn't read Gut, um, my wife did. She's interested in gut stuff. Uh, it's it's okay, like I'm, I'm vaguely interested in sort of, human anatomy and stuff. I worked in a hospital for a bit as a student um, in records and stuff, but found that I found the whole environment really interesting and um, got quite into reading about the human body at the time. But it's written in a slightly annoying way, I've got to say. The guys, <laughs> it's so jaunty and kind of, yeah, I, I don't know, it's kind of irritating. <laughs> Maybe I'm just not in the mood for... <laughs> jaunty descriptions of human anatomy but it's a bit over the top the humor and so on is a bit kind of overbaked in my opinion what about you graham so i'm actually still working on enlightenment now so i haven't i haven't read something in between our episodes You're but still not quite enlightened <laughs> that's right but uh i'm, I'm getting there and yeah. it is an absolutely amazing book and it is very highly recommended i, I love the book so far all right. You, you generally like the books you read, I must say. Well, I'm pretty so. Well, no. Okay. So the reason is, it's because I avoid, and by avoid, I mean stop halfway okay. through the books that I don't like. I mean, we've talked about this before, but if I'm not feeling it, I'm out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but in like now is fascinating. Read it. All right. Noted. Next time I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you uh, read, read Homo Deus, and it's recommended. So, yes, indeed. I do miss one of the one of the few things I miss about living in a city is going to bookshops. We actually do have a couple of bookshops, but I, I'm usually in the mood for a bookshop on a Sunday, and they're both closed on Sundays, which I find mm. quite tragic. So, um, I never get to like browse books anymore, which I miss. Yeah, I'm really good at buying books. <laughs> <laughs> so easy to buy, so like photocopying a paper collection of uh, non-read books. <laughs> yeah, 
Very good. Well, um, thank you very much, Eric, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure Thanks talking to you. I, yeah, um, I'm surprised it's taken us this long to get you. We should uh, we should have you back sometime to dig more into. Well, there's going to be lots of cool stuff comes out of the uh, the hackathons this year, so we'll have stuff to talk about then. And we'll yeah. and we'll see you. We'll be on air in Salt Lake City. Uh, actually, maybe we won't because I'm not going to be there. But um, maybe yeah. we can arrange some kind of clever. Yeah. Uh, broadcast arrangement. Yeah, we're so coming that. to Copenhagen too, so we'll see. You Copenhagen there. as well. Oh man, it's going to be a good spring. The next yes. three months are going to be awesome. Yes. Um, so thank you very much, uh, Graham. What is it you've been bursting to tell us this episode? I wait. Are you, is this you reversing the role? This is you doing the thing. You <laughs> is this it? it? I see. Oh, okay. I forgot it was the first episode. The uh, thing I've been bursting to tell you this episode is that it is very hot in this little room. I think that <laughs> all these electrical panels and buzzing things are starting to warm up, and I better get out of here before I get an arc. That's I because you're not wearing any pants, are you? Well, I'm not wearing any pants, obviously. I mean, I never wear pants on the show, but uh, I'm also not wearing any sort of uh, rubberized boot soles on my boots or anything to protect me from uh, 20,000 volts. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, good luck getting out of there. Thanks again, Eric. Uh, see you next time on Undersampled Radio. Bye-bye. Is this yeah, where I hit stop? <laughs>